Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we'll be continuing our series, Celebrating Our Freedom in Christ, and we'll be looking at a message entitled, Knowledge of Authority. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 and 2, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. seen in our study of 1 Corinthians 8 that Christianity is about freedom. But as we've also seen, it's a different kind of freedom than the one which our culture understands. Paul wants to make sure that our freedom as followers of Jesus is governed or bounded by two items. The first is love. As Christians, we use our freedom to love others. And the second, building on the theme of love, our freedom must operate in the boundaries of concern and care for those who are new in the faith and are still struggling with former sins. Our freedom protects the infant faith of others by keeping them from that which causes them to stumble. Now, when we come to chapter nine, at least at first reading, we might be tempted to think that Paul has moved on to another theme. I mean, the theme now moves from freedom to leadership. But as we're going to see, Paul as a leader holds himself up as an example of someone who's learned how to live both as a leader and as a free man. Now, I think that's important because I've met more than one pastor in my life who has told me he feels trapped. He's come to hate the pastoral ministry with its criticisms, with his having to do what hundreds of bosses tell him to do, with a board that doesn't understand ministry, and with constantly being judged. And he says, you know, if I could do something else, I would. Now, No one's benefited by that. Now look, one need not look far to come up with both positive and negative examples of Christian relationships with their leaders. Earlier on in Corinthians, we learned that the Corinthian church was badly divided over their leadership. They were comparing their leaders with each other and openly discussing their shortcomings, and Paul wanted to stop that. But Paul wants the Corinthians to know that as a leader, he is free. And that's good, both good for him and for them. Let me say that the kind of relationship between Christians and their leaders will often determine the health or the disease of a local church. And when the relationship is bad, all freedom is stripped away. Joy is lacking. Mistrust finds a place. So Paul wants to speak about freedom and about leadership. But that probably doesn't get at it. Not exactly. See, although Paul is a pastor, he's also a church planner, he's a a preacher, he's an evangelist, but he's something else, and that something else makes the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians a unique chapter. Paul is something that actually doesn't exist today. He is an apostle, that's so very important. And before we're done, we're going to see what it means for Paul to be an apostle, and it has everything in the world to do with your freedom in Christ today. Since we're only covering two verses in today's study, let's read them now. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 to 2. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, when Paul in this verse connects the idea of freedom to the idea of his apostolic calling, He's telling us that he has the freedom to do what God has called him to do. He has the freedom to discharge his ministry. And by implication then, God wants all Christian leaders, that is pastors or elders, I mean, that's the same term in the Bible, he wants them to freely carry out the work that God has called them to do. Listen to the commands given to elders in 1 Peter 5, verse 2. 
shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Now, the words not under compulsion indicate that what Peter has in mind is that all Christian leaders are to act in freedom and not in bondage. I wonder if you've ever met a Christian leader who has been in bondage. Do you ever say, wow, I'd love to be like that guy? Well, of course not. Christian leaders who do not experience their leadership as an expression of Christian freedom are in fact harming themselves and they're harming their church. So let's understand Paul's call. He's an apostle. Back in Acts chapter 9, when Paul comes to faith in Christ, God tells a man named Ananias what he has in mind for Paul. And I'm reading Acts 9 verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. See, as an apostle, Paul was called to establish the Christian faith. He was to set up the foundations for Christian doctrine and to plant churches throughout the known world. He, in fact, was so clear about this that he can say in Romans 15, verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So that's the unique nature of Paul's ministry. In other words, Paul is a theologian, he's a missionary, he's a pastor, he's an evangelist, he's a church planter, but most of all, he's an apostle, and that's what's at stake in this passage in 1 Corinthians 9. And so because this matter is so crucial and is often so poorly understood today, I decided to take a bit of time unpacking this concept, this idea of an apostle, and how it impacts all Christians. So let's familiarize ourselves with the office of the apostle found in the New Testament. You know, the first mention of the term is found in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now from this passage, we should note five things about apostles. First of all, they're directly appointed by Jesus. Second, they personally witness all that Jesus did. Third, they were called to be with him, that is, to be trained directly by him. And fourth, they were given a unique authority both to preach and to drive out demons. I mean, others also did this, but their authority in this area is of a unique fashion. And five, there were only 12 of them. According to John 14, verse 26, Jesus promised the 12 that when the Holy Spirit came to them, he, that is the Holy Spirit, would bring to mind everything that Jesus had taught them. That would mean that he promised them that they would accurately remember everything that they'd been taught. I mean, the implication here is that the apostles would become authoritative witnesses, not just of the Jesus event. Yep, they would remember everything he did and said with supernatural accuracy but they would also know with supernatural accuracy the meaning of the Jesus event. They would authoritatively tell us how to integrate all that Jesus taught us into our lives. To them alone is entrusted the true meaning of the gospel and the true meaning of the Christian faith. They are the authoritative interpreters of Jesus to all of the future followers of Jesus. And that's how Jesus designed it. To say we follow Jesus and do not submit to the teaching of the apostles, that's a contradiction. 
So by the time that we get to the book of Acts, the apostles are clearly taking a leadership role, a role that's entrusted to no one else. So as Acts opens in the first two verses, Luke sets the stage for what's to follow. He says, in my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In other words, the direction for the church, including the commands to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit was given, that was entrusted to the apostles. They're the primary leaders of the church. Now, as we know, the New Testament makes the case that Paul is added to this group of 12, bringing their number to 13. Now, I don't want to get into the issue of Matthias. If you know what that's all about, I'm not going to take that up. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, Paul calls himself one untimely born or one abnormally born. Now, clearly, there's something unique about the call of Paul which makes his calling to be different. I mean, that's one of the reasons this unruly church in Corinth was so fond of challenging his authority. Some argue that whereas Peter is an apostle, Paul can't be. He doesn't meet the criteria that Jesus himself had set out. And therefore, since they were free, they were then free to submit to him or not to. They followed Jesus. They said they didn't follow Paul. And if I might, for just a moment, let's see if we can put this into context. You know, I recently had a conversation with a young man, the kind of conversation that I've had many times before. It went something like this. This young man said, I follow Jesus. I just don't follow the Bible. Now, getting past the obvious contradiction, and how do we learn anything about Jesus apart from the Bible? Yet, I do know that there are many who simply have an internal picture of what Jesus is to them, and that internal picture is far more important than what the Bible says. And here's the issue. Who speaks for Jesus? According to Jesus himself, he entrusted to his apostles the ability to speak uniquely on his behalf. The record of the apostles is the New Testament record. And so if you say, I follow Jesus, but I don't submit myself to the Bible, Jesus himself disavows you. There's so much more to say here. Have you been considering joining us for the 2021 Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience? Well, after much consideration and prayer, the ministry has decided that we'll be postponing our next Israel experience to 2022. You'll understand why with so much uncertainty in our world right now. The exciting news is that those who have been nervous or reluctant to jump on board have a new window of opportunity. Join us in Israel April 24th to May 2nd 2022 and consider adding to your experience our extension to Jordan May 2nd to May 7th, 2022. This will definitely be a journey of a lifetime. Register soon because even though the date is a little ways away, the space is limited. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. What is the evidence that Paul is an apostle? Well, if he is, he's surely unique and different in his calling than the other 12. But if he is, how can he meet the criteria that Jesus himself set out? How can he be an apostle? So we begin again with Paul's own testimony in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1. Am I not free? 
Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now, we do know that Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and this was his conversion experience. The risen Jesus appeared to him and called him to be his own. But if this is all that Paul was referring to when he says, have I not seen Jesus, we might wonder how this makes the point. I mean, how does Jesus appearing to you make you an apostle? I mean, after all, in the Muslim world today, there are many who claim they've seen a vision of Jesus, and that does not make them into apostles. Remember, we've said that the apostles were in a unique position. We have said they were directly appointed by Jesus, personally witnessed his ministry, and were personally trained by him. Now, with that in mind, let's let Paul defend himself. I'm reading Galatians 1, verses 11 to 12, where he writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul argues that his apostleship, although different and unique, even untimely and abnormal, still an apostolic calling. He meets the criterion, that is, he's directly appointed by Jesus himself, and that he's not trained in the way that you and I are by others. He says, I was directly trained by Jesus. Now, we need insight as to how that was true. So let's go back to what Paul says in Galatians 1. After saying that the gospel he preached did not come from men, but that he received it directly from Jesus, some of us might think, well, he must be referring to some kind of internal or mystic or spiritual experience of Jesus, but that's not what Paul's referring to. Let's have Paul explain it in Galatians 1, 15 to 18. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit with Cephas and remained with him 15 days. So Paul is saying that for years, he was away from any Christian apostle and that Jesus himself, while he was in Arabia, met with him and trained him. Now, does that sound strange to you? Well, it's not. In the book of Revelation, the raised Jesus appears to John the apostle while he's in exile on the Greek island of Patmos, and they revealed to him the contents of the book of Revelation. And since that's so, Paul tells us the same thing happened to him. Christ met him on the road to Damascus, saved him there. Then Christ told Ananias that he had chosen Paul to preach to the Gentiles, and then Paul was taken into Arabia, where for three years Jesus met with him and personally mentored him and taught him the gospel. And so if we go back to the criteria of an apostle, it turns out that Paul had all of them. We said that apostles were directly appointed by Jesus, and that's clearly the case in Paul. Indeed, others attested to that. See, we also said apostles were uniquely called by Jesus and were directly trained by Jesus and that Jesus appointed them to that task. And so here's the question. Did the other apostles think that although Paul was an abnormally born apostle, did they recognize him as an apostle among themselves? And the answer to that, yes, they did. Listen to Peter's testimony about Paul, of which he himself writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. Here's what Peter says. 
and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Now listen to this line, as they do the other scriptures. Hope you heard that. Peter is saying of Paul, you should read his letters, you should pay attention to them, and then as he ends this section, he calls Paul's letters scripture, something which you would not say were he not an apostle. In other words, Paul has equal authority to Peter, like the others, trained by Jesus to speak on Christ's behalf. See, often new believers are gonna testify that when they start reading the Bible, they find Paul somewhat self-serving and constantly justifying himself and defending his apostolic calling. But listen, this is an essential plank in the New Testament platform. If Paul is not an apostle, he has no right to lead the universal church, nor has he the authority to write a portion of the New Testament. His apostolic calling is essential to the veracity of his message. If he's not an apostle, he can't lead as he leads. He has to, therefore, establish his credentials. See, note also that only apostles are given the kind of authority about which Paul is speaking. Apostles lay the foundation for the church. They set out its doctrine. They give leadership to its direction. Every local elder or every local church leader or local pastor is accountable to the apostles who act on behalf of Christ. The apostles have the authority to govern the universal church and the authority must be obeyed by every local elder and by every single believer. And in that case, the apostles are still giving leadership to the church today for what they and the prophets like Mark and Luke and others who wrote directly under the authority of the apostles, this is the sum teaching of the New Testament, or the New Testament is the apostolic teaching about Jesus. Now, there's so much more to say about this, and I can't say it all, but let me address one more fundamental issue that's often misunderstood. Are there still living apostles today? Well, listen to Ephesians 2, 19 to 20. There we read, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, without dealing into the identity of the prophets, we notice that the apostles form the foundation of the house of God. I mean, the imagery is simple. The church is being compared to a great structure. The foundation on which the structure stands is the apostolic testimony of Jesus, who is the cornerstone. Just as one does not repeat the foundation of a building over and over again, so the foundation of this structure is laid down once and for all. What the apostles gave us then is the enduring foundation of the church and the final authority of all that Jesus taught and the basis for all Christian doctrine and belief. All that successive generations can do is build upon that foundation that was once for all been laid. Now from this, we get the biblical doctrine of a complete and a final canon, or a complete and final New Testament in which nothing can be or is allowed to be added or subtracted. The apostles have once and for all given us the complete and accurate revelation of all that Jesus taught and the full revelation of what his life and action and teaching means. 
They also instruct us authoritatively of how to apply the ministry of Jesus to our individual lives and to the church as a whole. And this they have given to the church for all times. And that's why we don't have living apostles today. See, if we did, we would have to argue that we have an incomplete Bible. And for those within Romanism who argue that the Pope has inherited the apostolic office, we argue that the Pope simply does not meet the criteria for apostolic leadership laid out in the New Testament and by Jesus himself. Now, what's all that got to do with freedom? Have I gotten way off the beaten track? And the answer is, no one is free in Christ if they do not come under the authority of the apostolic witness, or to put it in the way that most of us understand, no one is free in Christ if they will not submit themselves to the teaching of the Bible. To separate Jesus from the Bible is simply false and attacks Jesus' own witness. And so whatever we talk about, whether it's meat sacrifice to idols or how to relate in our highly sexual charged culture today, whether I can be involved in a certain activity, any freedom that we talk about starts with an assumption that we as free men and women are under the authority of Jesus, which means we are under the authority of the Bible. John, your message today conjures up a question, and I I hope people won't find offense to it, but the bottom line is there's some portions of the Bible, for example, what Jesus says, that seems to get more authority than the apostles or Paul himself. Is that how we should look at the authority of Scripture? Yeah, that red-letter Bible. You know, we have some people say if it's the red letters, that's really important, and anything else isn't. So we've all heard that kind of stuff. And what we're wanting to say is this. Everything in the Bible comes from the mouth of Christ. That is, he, didn't, he might not have said it during his earthly ministry, but his earthly ministry gives rise to everything that's in the Bible. And so we need to treat whether it comes from Paul or whether it comes from Jesus or from Peter or anyone else, we need to treat it as scripture and all scripture is inspired by God and it comes from the mouth of God. So every piece of scripture has authority, equal authority and weight. And uh, that's how we need to treat the entire Bible. And, and yeah, you put your finger exactly on what the issue really is. Thanks so much, John. And that is really what's behind the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. During the month of August, we'll be unveiling a slightly new visual look for the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. This change came as a result of a deep search into a a 60-plus year legacy of ministry and a determination to continue our commitment to offering trustworthy Bible teaching. To celebrate the past and embrace the future of Bible teaching, Dr. Neufeld will be airing a brand new five-message series entitled Bible Teaching You Can Trust. This is a biblical study of the key elements that indicate the Bible teaching you're listening to is trustworthy. This will air on this radio station, online, podcast, and in our mobile app. But we also want to offer you the series on CD as our gift for free. 
All you need to do is call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And if Bible teaching you can trust is something you value, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift of support. Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust.